So look at this, look at this um, two-page sheet here. And what this does is, we're, we're past this already. The kingdom's not only already divided, but it's already conquered. So in 323 BC, obviously the northern kingdom was carried away about 400 years before the death of Alexander. So think about that. 400 years before the death of Alexander, the 10 tribes of Israel, or Israel, the northern kingdom, was carried away captive by the Assyrians. So when you look at this chart called Kings and Prophets, it starts out with the unified kingdom. Who was the first king of the unified kingdom of Israel? It was Saul. And it gives our dates there, uh, 1051 to 1011. Saul ruled 40 years. The, the king after him was King David. And then after David was Solomon. So each of these ruled 40 years. Um, some would say 40 years represents a generation. So they, they ruled um, a generation. Um, not a hard and fast number, but the Bible often um, defines a generation as 40 years. But each of these kings reigned 40 years. And then it was after the death of Solomon and his son Rehoboam came to power and he was not a good king and he caused the kingdom to split. God did this. Uh, God did this because of Solomon's sin, uh, and then it, that split was manifest in the, in the time of Rehoboam. So then your kingdoms split. <clears throat> you have the kings of Israel, and you have the kings of Judah. And if we want to think about uh, prophets, uh, on, that, on that list of prophets that I gave you, uh, you'll see that Samuel is the first prophet listed. And Samuel, of course, ministered during the time of Saul and of David. And then when they split, most of the prophets that we are familiar with, um, you know, the ones like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, who have books of the Bible named after them. You see prophets like Elijah and Elijah who are recorded in the book of the Kings and in the Chronicles. But this chart kind of helps you just see uh, what's happening because these kingdoms are... Life is taking place in both of these kingdoms at the same time. And you can see the timeline. So to your left there, I mean to your right there, are the years. So beginning in 930 B.C., the kingdom splits. And you've got uh, Jeroboam who is the king of Israel, and you've got Judah, I mean Rehoboam, who is the king of Judah. And then you see um, some, some of these kings reigned very short periods of time, maybe a year, months, um, and they're all listed there. 
And then you see Elijah comes on the scene. And Elijah was a prophet to the kingdom of Israel or to the northern kingdom. And then remember it was Elijah who, what king did Elijah deal with? Well, you see there, he dealt with Ahab. And then Elijah takes his place. Then we see Jonah. Who did Jonah prophesy to? We're tempted to say Israel, but Jonah didn't prophesy to Israel. Jonah prophesied to Nineveh, the nation that would ultimately conquer Israel and lead them away into captivity. You missed that sermon series. Huh? I missed it. Yeah, I remember. Jonah did prophesy a little bit to Israel. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but his primary mission was to Nineveh on behalf of Israel because his preaching to, it, to Nineveh caused the Ninevites to, the Assyrians, to repent of their sin, and God gave them uh, a period of... He. he He forgave them, and so he didn't bring the ultimate destruction that he was going to. And in the meantime, uh, as a result of that, they they conquer the kingdom. Because God had a plan. So in, you know, you see down there in 722 BC, Israel fell to Assyria. Uh, Amos prophesied to Israel. Hosea prophesied to Israel. All these are prophets to the northern kingdom. And God is, uh, at the same time, so we come down here and we look at 760, when, when Hosea is prophesying to Israel, Isaiah is prophesying to Judah. And Micah, is prophesying to Judah. And you can see the kings. And on the next page it continues. And all of these prophets, most of them are prophesying to Judah. Nahum there is, um, he tells, he tells Judah, Israel is the northern kingdom's already gone. He tells Judah, he prophesies concerning Nineveh, and he pronounces the judgment that God's going to bring to Nineveh. Now, I think this is something we should pay attention to because God has done this throughout the history of his people. So let's just think about the northern kingdom. So God uses the Assyrians as his instrument to judge Israel because Israel was wicked, unrepentant, idolatrous. And God sent, look at all these prophets. God sent all of these prophets. He sent Elijah. He sent Elijah. He sent Jonah. He sent uh, Amos. He sent Hosea to Israel to try to warn them of the coming judgment, telling them to repent of their sin. And God did this, look at the, look at the years here. 
I mean, from the time the kingdom divided in 930, uh, and it is 722, or it's 210 years, 208 years later, 930, 830, 730, minus 8, 722. It's 208 years that God warns his people once these kingdoms divide and he sends his prophets and he's warning them. And then after 208 years of just being a divided kingdom, that's not counting all the centuries before that where God's people have the law and they've had the warning that was given to them in Deuteronomy. As soon as they came into the land, remember, God had six heads of tribes stand on one mountain and he had six heads of tribes stand on the other mountain. And from each of those mountains, Mount Gerizim, and Mount Ebal, they pronounce the blessings from, from one and the curses from the other, warning Israel to keep God's word, to obey his law, and to not stray from the Lord and begin to worship idols. And this was an ongoing struggle with Israel. Before the kings, there were the judges, and the judges ruled them and delivered them constantly. They would be under... Uh, under the oppression of some tribe. And it all had to do with their adulterous or idolatrous um, lifestyle. They would not remain faithful to God. Hosea, the prophet Hosea, God causes Hosea to marry a prostitute and he gives Israel this graphic picture of what was happening between God and his people. And so finally, after 200 years of prophetic warnings, God brings the Assyrians, whom he sent a prophet to, and they repented. But eventually, those same Syrians came. And this is why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh initially, because he knew that God would use those Assyrians to bring judgment to his people, because Jonah was warning. They were all warning so Jonah was not unaware of what Elijah and what Elisha and what God said in his word and what God said to his prophets because God was now speaking through Jonah. So we get down there to, um, and he did the same with Amos and Hosea. We get down there to 722 and God sends the Assyrians and he carries away those 10 tribes and Israel is no more. The northern kingdom was never restored. Those 10 tribes were carried away, and there's great speculation. There's uh, all kinds of books even written about uh, how the, ten, the lost tribes are called the lost tribes, how uh, the lost tribes are uh, the English people, and America is part of the, that's a bunch of hooey, okay? Um, what was the guy's name? Arm and Hammer. Uh, Arm and Hammer and there was uh, Armstrong. What was the guy's that Y'all probably are too young. Do you remember? Do you remember what was Armstrong's name? Um, he was the big proponent of this, that Queen Elizabeth sits on the throne of David. And uh, we are the true Israel here in America. It's, it's heretical. It's... It's terrible. But what I'm saying is 
people have been trying to figure out throughout history what, what happened to these 10 tribes. Well, what happened was they were carried away by the Assyrians and they assimilated with the, the people of Mesopotamia and the other cultures of the world. And some of them remained there in Israel in the region known in Jesus' day as Samaria. And the Samaritans were the mixture of the Assyrians that were sent back in, seated back in. The Jews that remained there eventually married those Assyrians and they became known as Samaritans. But Nahum, if we go back, if we go to the second page, in 660, somewhere around there, around between 660 and 650, Nahum prophesies to Nineveh and warns Nineveh that God will judge them because of what they did to his people. Now, isn't that kind of funny? Why would God judge them for what they did to his people if God sent them to judge his people? Well, it's the same, same reason that God ordained for Christ to be crucified, but he punished the people who crucified him because they did it and they enjoyed every moment of it. They maliciously murdered he did the same with the Babylonians. So Israel, the northern kingdoms, carried away in 722. In 606, here come the Babylonians. Well, who's been warning about the Babylonians? Well, you look on this page and you got Jeremiah, you got Ezekiel. Uh, the, uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are warning of the Babylonians before and while the Babylonians are there. Isaiah warned about the Babylonians. And so just like he did with the northern kingdom, God took the Babylonians and raised them up. And the Babylonians were the ones that God used to judge the Assyrians. And so God uses Assyrians to judge Israel. Then God raises up Babylonians and he judges the Assyrians for what they did to Israel now the Babylonians are the great power, and guess what God does? And God warns through Isaiah, through his Jeremiah, and he tells them, I'm going to raise up a people in the north, and they're going to come, and they're going to judge you because of your sin. Repent of your sin. And so sure enough, we, we looked at this, 606, here comes Nebuchadnezzar, first time to Jerusalem, carries away the king, carries away all of the, the noble smart-looking, strong-looking people to serve in his own cabinet back in Babylon. And he says, now you, you people of Judah, be good subjects to me, and everything's going to be good with you. And God had already told them that they were going to be carried away for 70 years, remember? But they didn't believe Jeremiah. They didn't believe Ezekiel. Even after the first invasion... They would not submit to the Babylonian king as God told them to through the prophet Jeremiah. And so 20 years later in 586, here comes the Babylonians and they destroy the city, destroy the temple, carry everyone away, just leave the poorest, use, most, what they deemed to be the most useless people. They just left them in the land. They didn't care what happened to the land. They carried everybody away, captive to Babylon. And then we know what happened to those Babylonians. God raised up another group of people called the Persians and the Medes. 
and he judged the Babylonians and he said through his prophets what would happen. Isaiah talks about Cyrus, how God would raise him up. This was centuries before. Persia was a power. And so what I want you to see is this principle that God uses. He brings about his judgment. He disciplines his people. He disciplines nations using other nations. And because we have become so dispensational in our thinking, we think somehow all of that has stopped. And now we're living in this time where God doesn't really work like that anymore. Except if we, if we just look at history, we see God's been raising up and bringing down nations. He's never stopped doing that. And I think we would believe, I certainly believe that God raised up this nation. And so we can go back in history and we can see where Christians, it's all related to the gospel where Christians wanted to be free to worship God. Christians wanted a pure religion. So corruption, just like it happened with the Egyptians or the Babylonians or the Persians or the Greeks or the Romans or Israel. Nations became corrupt. And the people of God become corrupt also. And when the church is married to the government, as it was, in Israel's day, there was no separation of church and state with Israel. Israel was the church, and the priests were the ruling. They ruled. This is the way God set it up. And you can see through history, even in England, you have a church of England. What happened in England? Well, the people, the Christians in England, before there was a church of England, when there was just a Catholic church, the people not just in England, but in many parts of the world, wanted to be free. They wanted to read the Bible in their own language. They wanted to worship God in a way they thought was pure, according to the Scripture, and not according to all these things that the corrupt religious order was imposing upon them. And so God brings conflict. God brings war. God brings things and he disciplines kings and rulers and he puts it upon the hearts of men to, to go. And so you had a whole group of people called Puritans and Separatists who went to the New World. We know it today as America. They wanted to establish a pure church. And you know what? If you look at the history of this country, the purity of that church was amazing for a long time. I think it's fair to say now, if we look at our current culture, the purity of the church is not so pure. I mean, God's always got a remnant, right? But if we just look across the landscape of what's called the church, there's all kinds of things in the church. And, and much of it is not good. And so, how does God deal with nations today? Well, the same way he's always dealt with them. 
And so this is why God would send his prophets. And they would prophesy to the people. Who are the prophets today prophesying to the people? Do you think there are prophets out there prophesying to the people? Yeah. God's given us his word. But those prophets weren't prophesying to us, but they were absolutely prophesying for us. I mean, we are the prophets today. So you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, sent forth to proclaim his glory. When you proclaim his glory, what are you doing? You're prophesying. When we proclaim the gospel, what are we doing? Well, I submit we're prophesying. We're calling men to repentance, just like Elijah did, or Isaiah did, or Jeremiah did, or Ezekiel did. And what happens when the church doesn't come to repentance? How long will God suffer with the nation? How long suffering is God? He was a long, very long-suffering with, with Israel. I mean, we can just look at 208 years from the time they became a kingdom to the time that the Assyrians carried them away. It was even longer. It was even longer. It was another 200 years before God carried away Judah. So it's over 400 years that God dealt with Judah before they were carried away. So we might say, how long will God deal with our nation? I mean, we live in America, so we're Americans. I mean, we should pray for, you know, we, we pray for rulers in the world. We pray, pray every week for, for rulers in general, ruling in this world. But, but we live in America. Are we to be the prophetic voice in America? Or is that somebody else's responsibility? Or is there no prophetic voice? We just, God is love and it doesn't matter what we do. And we're all going to go to heaven one day and it's all going to be great. And the real problem is these people who keep telling us we need to obey God or we need to do this or we need to do that. I mean, have you ever thought about that? I mean, have you ever thought about you being a prophetic voice in the earth today? Actually, I haven't because when I think of prophet, I think of somebody predicting the future event. Mm-hmm. I've never really thought about prophesying being just proclaiming the gospel. I always think about it somebody saying something, something's going to happen in the future, and then that comes to pass. Well, in a sense, that's true because when we give people the gospel, we're we're telling them what's going to happen in the future if they don't repent. We're predicting their future. And, and we don't know their future. We just know if you're not in Christ, this is your future. It, and, and remember, we're not sent to save them. We're sent to give them the message. It's just like the prophets in the Old Testament. They couldn't save Israel. They could only declare the message of God. It was up to those Israelites. It was up to those people of Judah, the people of Israel, to actually repent before God.
The prophet was there just telling them exactly what we tell people today. If you don't repent, you're going to experience the wrath of God. That is just as true today for people as it was 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago. It's just as true today as it was when Isaiah was telling people or Ezekiel or Jeremiah was telling people. We're predicting their future just like Jeremiah and Ezekiel did. Now, we might not get as specific as someone like Daniel did, but, you know, you can see prophets. Even we read the prophets in the Bible, and there were few prophets in the Bible who were as specific as Daniel was. And why was Daniel so specific? Because that's what God gave him. So the prophets, they just communicated what, what God gave to them. They didn't have any control over the message God gave them. They were responsible to be obedient to deliver the message. But the content of the message came from God. And so, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because today we, especially in... Um, you know, in charismatic Pentecostal circles where um, prophets are still touted and they have, you know, day-long or weekend-long seminars to teach you how to prophesy. You, you can go up to Kansas City and go to all kinds of places and go to the School of the Prophets and they'll teach you how to prophesy. And, and it is true that Elijah, there was a School of the Prophets. Because when Elisha was, received the mantle from Elijah, remember the people came out from the school of the prophets and they said, aren't you ashamed of yourself? What if your master is, what if God dropped him up in the hill somewhere and he's waiting for you to come find him, and bring him a drink of water? And Elijah was guilted into going and looking for Elijah to no avail because he, he had been taken to heaven. So I'm not saying, but, but the school of the prophets was not about uh, what we think they're about today. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. But I think one day, uh, if, if we're able, able to ask any of these prophets, how did you learn to predict the future? They're going to say, I didn't learn to predict the future I just was God's mouthpiece. I just delivered the message that God gave me. And today, has God given us a message? He absolutely has. Why do we need to think that we've got to, you know, get in some, um, you know, get in some spiritual atmosphere or spiritual frame of mind or, um, you know, posture to, to receive a word from God when we've got the word from God right here. And why are we not proclaiming this word? Because this word does predict the future of everyone who rejects it. You are prophesying people's future when you give them the gospel. They're either going to have a future of eternal uh, joy and happiness in the presence of God, or they're going to have an, a, a, a future of eternal Wrath and damnation separated from God. And so, is it possible that God could reach an end of his long-suffering with us here in America? I mean, I keep hearing on the news how the Chinese and the Russians want to take over the world. 
Do we think that God would not allow them to come to power, to rise to power in judgment of those nations who have now for many, many decades rejected the gospel, the very gospel that built them and made them the beacons of freedom and light in the world? Do we think that God would not raise up a pagan nation to bring judgment to those nations that have rejected him? We have a historical precedence of that in the Bible. And what was the key for Israel? Well, the key for Israel was for God's people to repent and cry out to God. So... Who are God's people today in our nation? Who are God's people? Is it the Republicans or the Democrats? Is it the Independents, the Green Party? Is it the legislative or the executive or the um, judicial branch? Who, who is, who's God's people today? The same people that's always been his people. The church is his people. When Abraham walked the earth, the church was God's people. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, the church was God's people. When the Spirit fell at Pentecost, the church was God's people. The church has always been God's people because the church is simply the assembly of called out ones. God has called out his people to be separate from the world. Who are God's people today? The church is. What will determine whether this nation continues or falls? It's very simple. The church will, just like it did throughout Israel's history. We see it right here in chart form. It's why God sent prophets to prophesy to the kings and to the people. How do we prophesy to kings today? Well, I think one of the ways we can prophesy to kings is we can, we can vote. We preach the gospel. We make disciples. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we can let people know not just what we believe, but there's all sorts of ways for us to proclaim the gospel and to signify to God that we take his word seriously. When we say we love Jesus, but we're voting for politicians who don't have a problem with murdering babies, what do you think God thinks about that? He says, I hear what you're saying, but your actions lie. Say that you're lying to me. And when we say what our politicians believe doesn't matter, what are we saying to God? Because who puts who in authority? Who's established all authority? God has. <laughs> then that continues. And then in um, in 586, the temple is destroyed. That's the first temple. In 
And then 70 years later, that temple was rebuilt and that became the second temple. That second temple is the one Jesus was carried into. Uh, down at the bottom, it just gives you uh, some dates and things there. Why did God allow Judah to return and rebuild the temple and reestablish themselves? Now, they never... They never reestablished a king on the throne. They were ruled since, since the Babylonian captivity. The Jews have been ruled by other nations. They had governors who were put in place by these powers, but Zedekiah was the last king to sit on David's throne. Why did God allow Judah to come back, but he didn't let the northern kingdom return? Anyone? There is a reason. Who did God make a promise to that he said would never be broken? It was David. And so when God judged Solomon and said, I'm going to take ten tribes from you, but I'm going to leave you, Judah, and, and Benjamin was there. Those were the two tribes that represented the southern kingdom, but it was really Judah. Because God promised, when, when he told Jeroboam, he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to rip the kingdom from Solomon. I'm going to give you ten tribes, and I'm going to Reserve two for Solomon because I promised David that there would always be a man sitting upon the throne. Then he told Jeroboam, he said, if you'll go and you'll obey me, he said, I'll make you a great nation. Jeroboam did not do that and did not become a great nation. So God uses nations to judge other nations and then God will turn right around and judge that very nation he used because of their own wickedness. That's not inconsistency on God's part. That's not contradictory on God's part. That's not God changing his mind. It is true he raised up, for instance, the Babylonians to judge his people. But he also judged the Babylonians for their cruelty to his people. Yeah, you were supposed to go judge them. But just like those that murdered Jesus, they had murder in their hearts. They weren't doing it thinking they were serving God. They were doing it serving themselves. It's a strange thing when we see how God works among nations. But we need to be careful today that we don't believe erroneously that God does not still work in those ways. And this is why we need to be praying. We need to be faithful to prophesy God's word. Even when people don't want to hear it. Even when people don't like it when we're out there prophesying God's word. And, and if we... If we take that seriously, 
We can go to God and if we say, well, God, I, I don't really know how to do that. Well, James says, if a man lacks wisdom, wisdom, let him ask of God and God will give liberally the wisdom that you need. God, how do I reach my neighbor? How do I reach my coworker? How do I proclaim, how do I prophesy your gospel to them? If we're serious about that, God will show us how to do that. He'll give us wisdom. He'll give us favor to be able to speak into people's lives. And you don't ever know the person you speak to, the impact they may have on someone else. You don't. And it doesn't really matter whether we know or not. God knows. And so every door God opens, every opportunity God presents to you, if we're faithful to use it for his glory, to prophesy, to be faithful to him, God knows how he'll take those encounters and use them in glorious ways.